Hello, welcome to Scrolling, a podcast about the Elder Scrolls Online. I'm Ket Sparrowhawk, and this is episode number one. So I want to start with the news, um, but first, before we do, this being the first episode, I feel like I really should take a moment to introduce myself. Uh, so if you didn't catch it from the intro, uh, my name is Ket Sparrowhawk. That is K-E-T Sparrowhawk. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at ketsparrowhawk at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at ketsparrowhawk. Um, no, that's not my real name, uh, but it's a name that I use when playing games a lot of the time. Uh, and I just decided to go with that instead of my real name. Just I'm not even sure exactly why. Just seemed, just felt right. <laughs> um, as far as why I'm making this podcast, really, I'm just a big fan of the game. I play it a lot. I talk about it a lot. Uh, and I figure I can talk about it into a microphone and uh, turn it, turn it in, turn my hobby into even more of a hobby, a more multifaceted hobby, if you will. Um, so uh, that's really all it is, a hobby for now. I'm not doing any monetization. There's no ads. Uh, there's no Patreon, anything like that. Um, if it starts to look like something that you know could allow me to quit my day job, then I'll certainly consider it. Uh, but until then, it's just a fun thing to do, uh, just, to, just to talk some scrolls. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I think that's enough of a... Well, I don't know. Maybe you want to know a little bit about just how I play the game. We're we actually are, we'll talk a lot about that here in a minute, but just some, some quick facts. Um, I've put in probably, I don't know, close to 4,000 hours into the game. My main character is a magic and night blade who, uh, is awesome. <laughs> it's my very favorite. Um, let's see. I do PVP. I do PVE. Uh, I've completed most veteran content. I think the, there's a, I think there's one of the Wolf Hunter dungeons that I uh, haven't completed on veteran mode just because I've been kind of more focused on PvP here lately. So I just I just haven't taken the time to to make that happen. Uh, but I probably will eventually. Um, but uh, the trials and most of the other dungeons I've I've done them on on the veteran modes, the hard modes, all of that. Uh, and uh, in PvP, I hold my own as well. I uh, wouldn't say, uh, you know, I've never been Emperor. I'm not, you know, there's definitely better players. Uh, but, you know, I I know the ropes at least. I uh, can say that much at least. I don't know. Is that enough of an introduction? Is that fine? We're going to go with that. Uh, so let's just get on into the show. Uh, keep in mind that uh, this being the very first episode, it's still a format that is um in its infancy <clears throat> i don't know that's probably not the right way to put it um but we're still i'm still going to be experimenting with the format right so you might listen to the next episode and the order of things may be totally different i may add new things take old things out i think it it might take a half dozen episodes or so before we figure out a formula that that feels right but i think we will zero in on that sweet spot uh and find that groove and um and it's going to be good. It's going to be a good thing. All right. <clears throat> so now for realsies, let's let's talk about some stuff. 
So first things first, uh, you all know already, but I haven't had a chance to talk about it. Uh, there was an announcement for a new chapter. It's going to be coming out later this year. It's going to take place in Elsewhere, um, which is the land of the Khajiit. Uh, the release date, I'm just going to read just from this Google search. Uh, the Elder Scrolls Online Elsewhere will be available on Xbox One and PlayStation uh, on June 4th. PC, Mac, Early Access, uh, May 20th. And that's from the description of from the official trailer, actually. So I guess those are those must be accurate. So those are our dates. Um, yeah, it's going to be a Khajiit themed uh, or a Khajiit focused chapter, which I think is uh, pretty great. I think that means that this is probably going to be a very successful chapter, just because Khajiits are so beloved in this game. Um, you know who. Who didn't make a Khajiit Stamblade as their as their first character, right? Everyone, right? I mean, I have to. I would have to think at least half the players, uh, their first character that they made was a Khajiit Stamina Nightblade. It just that's the that's the one. Maybe I'm biased. Um. Anyway, it's gonna be fun. Khajiit chapter, heck yeah! Khajiits are just so cool. They <clears throat> they have such personality, so much swagger. Uh, they have like this 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 confidence about them uh, and charm and you know you get this feeling they're always trying to swindle you even when they're not even when they're being earnest it's just I don't know they're just kind of shifty in a good way um, so uh, with the chapter there's going to be a new full trial they said in the announcement stream uh, the the announcer looked directly at the camera and he said the words Ma of Lorcage. So he wants us to know uh, that they know Ma of Lorcage is our favorite trial. That's what we consider uh, an example of a good trial. Make more of those, please. Uh, they're aware of that. The last couple of trials have been what you might call a mini trial. Uh, they haven't been nearly as elaborate. They've been difficult for sure, and they've been like aesthetically pretty cool. You know, depending on your taste, um, but they've just been much shorter <clears throat> than, say, Ma of Lorcage. Uh, and for you know, a DLC for especially for a chapter, you know, we don't want to. A, a lot of people were saying that we don't want another cloud rest. We want a trial, please. <laughs> so it seems like a it seems like they were heard, and um, you know, they're they've messaged loud and clear that this is going to be on that level. Um, they've also said there's going to be dragons in this expansion, which I think is pretty cool. I know a lot of players are very excited. Uh, a lot of people are, like, super into dragons. <laughs> uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not super into dragons, but they're all right. They're cool. That'll be neat. Uh, they were cool in Skyrim, so I'm sure they'll be cool here, too. Um, I have to think that in that trial, there's going to be a... A dragon boss fight or two in there or maybe all of them uh, they also said or kind of suggested that there's going to be some dragon events in the uh, elsewhere zone as well like they they were saying like you could be out in the world questing uh, and find yourself encountering a dragon uh, but they didn't say exactly how that's going to go down if it's just going to be a world boss or kind of a thought that I had is maybe it's going to be 
like elsewhere's version of a dark anchor you know how like abyssal geysers are like dark the dark anchor of somerset maybe there could be some like big ass dragon that drops down uh and everyone from far away can kind of see this beacon and they're drawn to it uh maybe it takes 10 or more players to to take this dude down as well that could be cool uh, they didn't say that that's what's happening. Uh, that's just me guessing. But uh, it's a thought. I mean, it's got to either be something like that or a world boss. And I feel like if it was a world boss, they would have just said world boss. Um, we'll see. Um, next piece of info. Uh, this is probably the, the biggest piece of news, I would say, uh, or what a lot of people are super hyped about anyway. Um, an announcement of a new playable class that will be available with the purchase of elsewhere. Um, a necromancer. You can be a necromancer, finally. Uh, I, spend, I spend a fair amount of time on some ESO forums and on the subreddit. And daily, just about daily, somebody is on there saying, you know, let's have a necromancer. Why is there a necromancer? I need a necromancer. It's always... Uh, it's always a bit of a debate on those conversations because, um, well, you know, necromancy is like this taboo thing in this in the lore of this game, right? I mean, I know there's a lot of taboo stuff, but in my mind, necromancy's always been like um, the worst, the worst thing, basically, right? Like killing someone, I mean, it's bad, but. In this game, we all know that for sure there is an there is an afterlife. You do have an eternal soul. So yeah, sorry I killed you, but you know you're not like dead, dead for real, uh, because we know that your spirit is still living on. Uh, we have that confirmed. Uh, but then comes along a necromancer and is like, oh sweet spirit, you say, yoink, uh, and I'm going to use that to like reanimate a hideous flesh atronach or or whatever um and just squandering that person's precious soul or perverting it and turning it into something hideous um for you know for whatever means they see fit it's just not cool man so i was always in that camp i always thought not that i'm opposed to it happening just that i just thought it would never happen i thought the the lore masters would never allow it um, but it seems that they will, and they're they're holding true, somewhat to that to the idea that it is a taboo, terrible, atrocious thing, uh, because it is illegal. Actually, they they were talking about how if you're in a city or something and you cast one of your necromancer skills, uh, and like an innocent person sees you, you'll get a bounty or uh, or a guard will attack you. Um, so it is. It still is those those things that we were saying that taboo, horrible, forbidden thing. Uh, you know, you have to you have to practice your dirty secret away from society in in, in those delves underground and with the goblins and all that. Um, I don't know. It's neat. It's cool how they kind of worked that in there to to make it uh, a bit make it gel a little bit better with with the lore and make the make the naysayers maybe pipe down a little bit uh so cool move cool move there i would say so there is a little bit of info on this necromancer i was actually surprised with how much they shared uh this early on 
that we have a list of skill names and um, like some sort of little drawings, like illustrations that kind of show us what these skills might do. It's actually probably too much to talk about right here. It would take quite a quite a while to go through each and every one of these and talk about the possibilities that each one might be. Uh, but if you're interested, just search Google for ESO Necromancer skills. Um, I'm just looking at the the Fextra Life wiki page, uh, but there's multiple uh, multiple outlets that are that have this covered so you can just you can just look that up it's pretty interesting it looks uh i mean i can give like a quick overview we have three skill lines uh reaper skills bone tyrant skills and living death skills uh, <clears throat> and just based on the names of these skills and these little kind of uh illustrations they have here it um, I'm guessing that Reaper skills are mostly going to be damage focused. Bone Tyrant's probably going to be like a tanking skill line. Uh, and then Living Death, uh, probably mostly healing focused. Uh, but they usually do that in such a way where, you know, no matter what kind of build you are, you're probably going to dabble in all three of those skill lines. Like, you know, a damage, de a warden damage dealer. You know the frost skill line is for tanking, but they still use uh, Winter's Revenge as a damage dealer, and they still use some skills from the healing line as well. Uh, so hopefully they do it in a way where really no what no matter what type of build you are, you have a reason to to dip into all three of those skill lines. Um, you know with morph choices and that kind of stuff. So next up uh, we have the Wrathstone DLC that is coming out. Um, February 2019 for PC um, and March for consoles. Uh, it's basically just going to be a dungeon pack, a couple new dungeons, uh, Frost Vault and Depths of Malatar. And um, I'll just read this uh, this like official little um, description here. Uh, this is for Frost Vault, sealed away deep within the mountains of Eastmarch. Players must see seek out. Uh, one half of the Wrathstone tablet that has been hidden away by the Dwemer. Players will face goblins, Dwemer, and all manner of traps in order to get there. Um, and then we have Depths of Malatar, sealed away deep within the sunken city of Gar Garla's Malatar. Malatar, actually. Uh, players must seek out the other half of the Wrathstone tablet that is fiercely protected by followers of Meridia. These followers have devoted their lives in very essence to making sure that the tablet is never again returned to the surface. That's pretty cool. So both there's like both dungeons are like connected to each other. They each have a half of this tablet thing. But what happens when if you get both pieces of the tablet, I mean is it just strictly story is it just strictly you know it's just the quest and the, the quest person at the end says yay we got the tablet now uh and then and it's over or can you actually do something uh, once you have both pieces um don't know not no info like that uh yet uh they'll probably be super hard right these dlc dungeons are always uh freaking difficult uh but actually you know the the last couple I have to admit uh, are maybe they the 
the veteran version is like not impossibly hard, but the hard mode is like impossibly hard. Uh, it seems like maybe they're striking a neat balance there where like the veteran mode isn't just like, you know, it, it's challenging, um, but you know, you can learn the mechanics, you can get through it. Uh, I don't know. That's how, that's how I felt about the last couple. Uh, whereas like, I felt like Ruins of Mazatun, for example, or Cradle of Shadows, those, those are just dungeons that hate you. You know, that it's just so demoral. I mean, now, you know, I've done those so many times and it's no big deal. Uh, but at the time, playing them for like the first few runs was difficult. Whereas, um, like the Wolf Hunter, which I only, I've only done one of them, but it wasn't so bad. I also, I also didn't feel like, um, the, uh, Gosh, what's the one where you get Earth Gore at the end? Uh, <laughs> I can't think of the name right now. Bloodroot Forge. But, uh, you know, I didn't think that one was so bad either. Uh, it's it's definitely tough, but, if, you know, if you're in a decent group, it's it's not the worst. Uh, so, uh, East March for Frost Vault, Depths of Malatar is uh, in the Gold Coast. Uh, is where the entrance is. Um, you can get from both of them. You can get a skin, uh, a non-combat pet. There's several titles to be acquired uh, and unique housing items. Um, also, some new sets from uh, from both of them. Frost Vault has Icy Conjurer, Zogvin's Warband, Mighty Glacier, Stonekeeper. Um, should we should we talk about I think we probably should. I think we should talk about these uh these armor sets. Uh so I'll give, we'll, we'll we'll circle back around to the armor sets, all right? I'm just I'm going to give a quick rundown of just the the DLC in general, and we'll back up and uh and chat about the armor sets a little bit. Um so you get some some armor sets both in Frostfall and Depths of Melatar. Uh, we'll talk about those in a minute. You get some collectibles, or you can get some collectibles. Um, let's see here if any of these look particular. There's a there's a skin collectible, an ebon sapphire die that you can get somehow. They don't say exactly how. It's just new collectibles. This is what they are, and a bunch of new th furnishings. That's about the extent of it. So basic dungeon pack. Pretty much, basically. Uh, so why don't we check out these uh, these armor sets? Because that is what I'm all about. Hold on, gotta get my tabs figured out here. So we'll check out Icy Conjurer. It's a light armor set. Um, Max Magica, spell damage, spell penetration, uh, and the five piece. Applying a minor debuff to your enemy summons a non-reflectable ice wraith that will charge into your enemy dealing 18,000 frost damage over 4 seconds. That can happen every 12 seconds. Man oh man. That's a lot of damage. That's, that's, a, that's a frost warden's dream right there. Right? Boy oh boy. I know some PvP people are probably going to be uh, 
not so happy about this just because frost wardens are a nuisance in especially in battlegrounds where uh you know a lot of the a lot of the areas where these fights happen are kind of close quarters and a, and a frost warden with uh with all their snares and stuff can be real nasty to deal with and this is going to make them even even nastier i mean they already deal a lot of damage because they have that sub assault um and this on top of that is going to be it's going to be mean it's going to be mean so uh frost wardens are going to enjoy that uh people who are not frost wardens are not going to enjoy that probably um Okay, also from Forest Vault, uh, Zogvin's Warband. That's T-Z Zogvin's. Okay, Zogvin's. This is a medium set. Uh, so looks like for stamina damage dealer, we got weapon critical, weapon critical. Uh, the four piece gives physical penetration and then the five piece, uh, when you deal critical damage with a light or heavy attack, you gain a stack of precision, increasing your weapon critical by 129 for 10 seconds, up to 10 stacks max. Uh, at max stacks, you also gain minor force, increasing your critical damage done by 10%. And that's a mouthful. <laughs> uh, there's a lot going on there. Uh, looks like kind of another take on the, the Reliquin thing, right? Or the... Um, What's the mad the um, magic of DPS set from Cloud Rest? Or you you stand in the magic circle, uh, mantle of Sororia. They're they're really liking this stack thing here lately, which it seems effective. I mean, it's it's cool and it's I like what I do like about it is it it gives them a way to give us a set that does crazy amounts of damage, uh, but there's that trade off where you're not going to be able to do that crazy amount of damage all the time, right? On, only when the circumstances allow you to. Um, although, this one's not going to be hard to keep up. I mean, all you have to do is deal critical damage with a light or heavy attack. Uh, and most you know, PVE DPS builds have pretty high crit rate, so I don't think it's going to be too tough uh, to keep that up a lot of the time. Um, probably won't be OP for PvP. I think for PvP it won't be any problem because it's there's rarely a situation where you can just sit there and gain these stacks over a period of time. Uh, the fight's usually over uh, much faster than that. Um, that could be really nice for for a PVE damage dealer. Uh, I think you know probably there's probably testing going on right now that'll tell us whether or not it's actually as good or better than other stuff. Uh, but it seems decent. I mean, you get 129 critical times 10. I suck at math. Is that? 1,029? Actually, it's 1,290. Seems alright. Alright, next set. Mighty Glacier. Heavy set. It's their tank set. Jewelry comes in healthy. Uh, max Stamina. Max Magicka. And then the four-piece gives us both Stamina and Magicka Recovery. 
And already this looks like a nice PvP set. You know, I don't know. Let's see what the five piece does. Uh, when you cast a snare or immobilize ability, or hit a target with a snare or immobilize ability. So, okay, so you cast it, or if it hits someone, uh, you end up to 11 group members gain major resolve and major reward for 15 seconds. That's what those buffs are called major resolve, major reward. <laughs> I was struggling for those earlier. Um, for 15 seconds. Increasing your physical spell resistance. This effect can occur every 10 seconds. Seems like a great set. If you're... Especially... I mean, that seems like a decent set for, for PvE, absolutely. Like, pair that up with Eben. You're giving everybody uh, a health buff. And you are maybe freeing up a, a slot on their skill bar. Because uh, they don't have to worry about getting major resolve or major ward. Uh, because you're giving that to them. Uh, PvP, especially like small group PvP, I could see this being really cool. Um, like you're in a group of people. I mean, if you're if you're doing PvP, you pretty much have to have these buffs. Uh, you have to have access to these buffs, or you're you're just not going to last long in any fight. Uh, and so, if you have a buddy running this, you know. It frees it up off your bar, and you can you can slot something else, which is super valuable in PvP, man. I mean, I don't know about you, but I am constantly struggling to get everything I want on my bars in PvP. PvE is no problem. There's a it's there's there's a standard kind of set of skills that that you pretty much have to have, and uh, so it's it's not hard to make decisions on what to slot in PvE. But in PvP, there's so many good options, uh, and no matter what you choose, you're like giving up some other cool thing, and so it's always it's always tough. Um, so if you have a buddy running this, or even if you're running this yourself, and you just free up that bar space, um, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, and you when you cast a snare or a mobilize ability, so I mean, just throw caltrops. No percentage chance to proc it just it just procs right so would caltrops count just throw down caltrops and everyone has those buffs for 15 seconds it's nice it's nice i could see that being really nice for for small group pvp or even even larger group pvp you have like a few people running this pretty cool Uh, and then the Stonekeeper Monster Helm. Here we go. So the One Piece will give you both Max Stam and Max Magicka and Max Health. So you basically get like a Tri-Stat Glyph on that One Piece. It's like 500, 548 Stam and Mag Magicka and 600, 603 Max Health. Uh, with the Two Piece... Um, that's interesting. The two pieces like a can. Oh wait, I forgot we're talking about a monster set. Okay, uh, the two piece. When you block an attack, you gain an energy charge stack, up to one stack per second. More stack stuff. See, they love these stacks. Um, up to one stack per second. When you gain six charges, um, you release the energy, restoring fifty-three fifty stamina and magicka, and healing for fifty-three fifty. Uh, after releasing the charges, you cannot regain new charges for 14 seconds. So there's a cooldown there. So hold on. That's 
It's a lot to take in there. You block an attack, you gain an energy charge up to one stack per second. Okay. Seems seems like basically a tanking set, right? Who else is blocking attacks? Um, six charges. When you gain, so you got to get up to six charges. I guess there's no time limit on that. Probably just have to like be in combat, and the charges I guess probably don't expire. But it's not like you're going to be getting those in like in six seconds because uh, you're not blocking literally every second, right? You have to be taking an attack to block something. Um. So, I don't know, maybe every 10 to 15 seconds, if it's just like a single target boss fight, you'll get this 5,000 stamina, magic, and health. It seems okay, I guess. Uh, and, then, and then you have 14 seconds before it can happen again, before you can start gaining new stacks. So, over the course of a fight... You know, 14 seconds to wait to start gaining stacks, and then probably another 10 seconds after that. At least, I have to think, most of the time. Unless it's like a big mob fight. Um, so you're looking like, you know, probably like every 30 seconds, you're going to get that, that resource return. PvP... Maybe I don't think it's I don't think so. I don't. Maybe someone will prove me wrong. Uh, there are some smart people out there that find uh, that find useful they find usefulness out of things that I wouldn't think a lot of the time. But that seems for PvP, it seems like probably there's going to be better sets for PVE. It still seems like there's going to be better sets. I like, but I do like the fact that the one piece gives you a tri stat. That that alone might just make people wear it just for the one piece. Uh, I don't know about that two piece. We're gonna have to wait and see how that how the the jury's out on that one. So that's all the Frost Vault sets. Depths of Malatar. We have uh, Aurorans Thunder Light Armor set. Jewelry all comes in Arcane. Two piece gives you max health. Three piece spell damage. Uh, four piece you get spell penetration. <clears throat> so already I'm saying this is a PvP set because there's a health bonus, right? Um, when you damage a nearby enemy with a single target ability, you summon a cone of lightning from your chest for 3 seconds, dealing 1285 shock damage every 0 0.5 seconds to enemies in the cone. And that can occur every 6 seconds. Okay. 12.85 every 0 0.5 seconds for 3 seconds, so basically that's going to hit them 6 times. Okay, that's that's a decent chuck in damage, and that's that can happen every 6 seconds. Okay. Yeah, I could see like a Templar making good use out of that, because it's like a cone, so it kind of might synergize with those with the, with the jabs somewhat nicely. Um, since they're they're playing in melee range most of the time anyway. I mean, it's being lightning. Of course, the first thought is uh, is a sorcerer, but um, I don't think a sorcerer is going to be able to make great use out of this this cone thing because sorcerers often play at, uh, at at range. It's one of their biggest advantages. Um, so I could see that working maybe kind of nice for a templar or a or a dragon knight. So 
Scavenging Demise, medium set. So you get weapon damage, weapon critical, weapon critical, uh, and the five piece, when you deal critical poison damage to an enemy, summon the Scavenging Maw, who after two seconds attacks the enemy, dealing 7,000 poison damage and inflicting minor vulnerability for 15 seconds, increasing their damage taken by 8%, and that can happen every 10 seconds. So, I don't know, it's anytime, I'm telling you, anytime I see a five-piece bonus, it's like I have to read a paragraph uh, to understand what the thing does i'm already i'm already turned off by it you know uh we'll talk about this a little bit later uh when we get into a theory crafting session uh i really i just want good stats on my characters right i just i just want my stat sheet to look good i don't want to have to like jump through all these hoops to make my armor work right um when you deal critical poison damage all right so that's a it's already a uh, weird condition. Uh, then you summon a thing, attacking an enemy, dealing seven, seven thousand poison damage and inflicting minor vulnerability. So this would be for a poison build, obviously. So like a, a stamina dragon knight can make good use out of this. Absolutely. Uh, that seven thousand poison damage is nothing to sneeze at, and the minor vulnerability uh, and PvP for sure, uh, especially. Um, this could be a great PvP set. You know, I wasn't trying to talk trash about, you know, it seems like it could be an actually really strong set. Uh, I personally, it just seems like there's a, there's a lot of conditions there that I just don't want to have to keep track of in my mind. But, um, I don't know, maybe if I, maybe if I had, this might be something to put on a, stra a stamina dragon knight. Uh... Yeah, actually, that's I'm, I'm I'm turning around on it. This is a stamina dragon knight set. All right, uh, seems like it could actually be super strong for them, because um, they have all those poison dots going anyway. So they're they're dealing critical poison damage, probably on a pretty regular basis. So this thing's getting procked uh, on the reg, I bet. And that seven thousand poison damage uh, is probably gonna is probably gonna make for some really mean combos uh in like a like a burst combo in a pvp situation um like a pve dps we'll see i mean the testing the testing we'll see um it seems it seems like it'd be great for pvp for sure um i think we'll have to test it out and see for pve uh all right so the heavy set from depths of malatar frozen watcher um so we get max stamina, max health, max stamina for the two through four piece. Um, and then on the five piece, summon a blizzard around you while blocking, inflicting 1,000 frost damage every one second to enemies within your blizzard. The blizzard has a 15% chance of inflicting chilled on enemies' damage. That seems, that seems a bit much. Stamina, max health, and stamina. So those right away good good PvP stats. Um, I 
could be all right for PVE, but I think any serious PVE tank, you know, they're probably just going to stick stick to like good old Evan Alkosh or you know any of the old standbys. Um, one thousand AOE damage. I don't think it's enough to sacrifice those sets, especially for for harder content. Uh, I tell you what, though, uh, a medium armor stamina warden wearing these jewelry pieces and weapons and otherwise wearing medium armor could be real nasty while blocking so no proc chance i mean my understanding no no taking you don't have to take that you don't actually have to block anything uh you don't have to actually be taking damage just hold while hold while holding the block button you get a miniature version of your frost cloak basically and a 15% chance to chill them so to immobilize and give them did that, does that give them a minor debuff i think it does uh i guess the one uh i guess the one saving grace is you can't really use it when you're full on on offense right you you have to be blocking. So it's not like you can be attacking and casting skills while this thing's popping off. Uh, but what you can do is throw down some AOEs, pop your uh, ultimate, and then hold block while all that stuff's going on. And that can be nasty, especially if you're in a, in a good group that knows how to take advantage of that. Um, monster set. Symphony of Blades. Now this is the one I, I read I read the description on this earlier and this one seems tasty to say the least. Uh, one item you get two percent healing done. Two items when you heal an ally whose primary resource is under fifty percent, grant them Meridia's favor, restoring twenty-three twenty-five of that resource every second for six seconds. And then there's an eighteen second cooldown. Now, when it says 18 second cooldown, I believe that cooldown means from from the moment that it first procs. So you get that six seconds of recovery. Uh, and so you've already used the first six seconds of that cooldown. So you actually only have 12 seconds left before it can happen again. It's my understanding. Uh, and hopefully it'll be longer than that before anyone needs it again, because that's a that's a lot of stamina or magicka. Um, in a short amount of time so that's really cool um that that could be that could be freaking fantastic especially again in pvp <laughs> uh but i could also see it being great in pve as well especially if you're in a group that struggles to sustain uh, i think most groups have kind of figured out that sweet spot where sustain isn't so much of an issue uh, but who knows we're getting some balance changes and stuff uh, that may that may change that so we will see. We'll see about that. Speaking of which, some uh, changes are being made to the uh, racial passive abilities uh, in an effort to balance the races out a little bit better, uh, which I think is a good thing. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to dig into that a little bit. Okay, so there's a lot of information here. I think if we try to go through every single one of these race changes, uh, we're going to be here all day. So. Uh, what I would say is just uh, do a Google search for ESO race changes um, and find the link for the official forums, uh, the one that's posted by uh, Zoss underscore Gilliam. Lays it all out right there. 
There's also a, a subreddit um, thread that just links to this as well, and there's a discussion there on Reddit about it. A um, lot of a lot of opinions being voiced. Uh, you can be sure. Um, so I think instead of trying to go through each and every single race, I'm just going to try to hit some of the key stuff that that has people talking. Uh, first of all, High Elf overall is just looking pretty good. They're still going to be more than likely the go-to uh, Magicka damage dealer race. Um, the the main thing is that um, they're get, they're losing their elemental damage. That four percent fire shock ice damage is now just spell two fifty eight spell damage, um, which I think that's that's a good thing. I think that's we're going to see that as being a buff. Um, also, uh, just back up a second. Overall, just overall for all the races, something that they are doing is changing any kind of percentage stat increase to a flat numeric value um so that's that's true for basically every single race so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna touch on that stuff um some some of the time that ends up being a nerf sometimes it's a buff depending on some things um i'm just gonna touch on kind of the the juicy bits here so that's really the main thing for high elf um they also lose their magicka recovery and get more of a red guard style of magicka sustain so instead of nine percent magicka recovery they restore uh seven five seventy five magicka or stamina whichever's higher uh, after activating a class ability so instead of just having that recovery stat they have another way of an, a different way of getting their stat recovery now um I don't know if that's good or bad. We'll see. Uh, Argonian uh, main things main things here is their uh, what they're so known for their resourceful passive still there. They didn't take it away, but they did nerf it a little bit. Um, each stat that you get back when you when you drink a potion, you know you get health, magicka, and stamina back. Well, you get about a thousand less of each now. Um, still super strong. I think my PvP Argonians are probably going to remain Argonians uh, because it's just so nice to have that as a backup. Like if um, you know, say I'm a I'm a stamina DPS build. Um, well, if I'm an Argonian and I'm running tri potions, um, that's like that's basically like a really powerful backup burst heal if I need it. You know, and it's instant. Um, when you, you pop that potion, if you pop a tri-stat potion as an Argonian, that's, that's like a 15k heal. So strong. So now it's going to be like a 14k heal. Still super strong. Uh, so I think, I think Argonian's going to be fine. Um, they lost their poison resistance and immunity, um, which is a bummer because it was so nice. Uh, so they did have poison and disease resistance before. Now it's just disease. Uh, I'm still thankful to have that disease resistance. Um, and it makes sense lore-wise with them, the whole deal with them surviving the Thracian plague and all that. Um, it kind of flavor-wise makes good sense. Um, and then they took a nerf to their healing. 5% healing done and received is now just 4% healing done. That's a nerf. That is a nerf. Still, Argonians were kind of the clear example that everyone was pointing to. Like, they have 
so much more utility than almost any other race in in a lot of different circumstances that they have such a huge advantage uh it's like you're you're almost foolish not to pick an argonian i mean not exactly but you know it's there's a huge advantage there um still i think it's still a huge advantage and they just they just kind of brought them down a little bit kind of maybe more like where they need to be uh wood elf let's see here so main thing about wood elf um they've lost their stealth detection radius reduction and, and they've also lost their 10 percent bonus damage from stealth um, so your Bosmer Ganker is not going to have that extra 10% uh, damage on that on that initial attack. I think that's fine. Ganker's Ganker's have such an advantage already. Um, I'm not I'm not mad about it. Um, so now instead, what you have is you it increases your stealth detection radius, meaning you can detect other people who are in stealth easier. Uh, and then the big one. After you use a roll dodge, you gain 20% movement speed for 3 seconds. Uh, if you don't already know, the final passive of the bow skill line already gives you major expedition after using a roll dodge for 4 seconds. So an extra 20% movement speed on top of that is just going to be insanity on wheels. Right? Especially if you're wearing like Jailbreaker or something with, uh, with minor expedition uh, going as well. Uh, you're just gonna be breaking the sound barrier in the sneaking game. I could see that being, I could see that being maybe kind of broken in PvP, honestly, because movement speed is so important there. And if you can move really fast and maneuver faster than anybody else, you you have a pretty big advantage. I think that actually makes up for the losing the the stealth damage quite a bit, because uh, gankers, you know, they're typically pure glass cannons, right? They're really they're really squishy. Uh, and if they have a failed gank attempt, they're gonna need they're gonna need that extra movement speed to get the heck out of dodge and reposition. Um, so that's cool. That's cool. I like that. I have a um, I have a Bosmer um, Warden Stam Warden that I'm I just started leveling up. Uh, so I'm looking forward. He needs gonna be a pure bow archer uh, build as well. Uh, so I'm looking forward to testing that out. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think they might nerf that before it gets to uh, to live. I mean, even if that was just 10%, I feel like that would still be pretty cool. Uh, Breton. Breton's looking very good. They were already uh, very good at sustain, and now they are going to be even basically twice as good, more than twice as good at sustaining than they were before. Um, the main thing here is... Um, they took a, they took like a, a little like a fifteen hundred uh, spell resistance nerf. Used to be thirty nine sixty. Now it's twenty three ten. Um, and but they also get an extra one hundred magicka recovery that they didn't have before. Uh, and then their three percent magicka cost reduction is now a seven percent magicka cost reduction. So more than twice the cost reduction than before plus an extra 100 Magicka recovery. Uh, that's a lot of sustain. That's so much sustain. Probably, if you're a Breton, you probably don't have to worry about sustain at all in the rest of your build, right? Just put all damage glyphs, use the Apprentice Mundus, uh, just just go nuts on the damage because sustain's built right in. No big deal. 
It's going to be nice. I have a Breton Magwarden. Uh, it's like a like a nature themed kind of kind of thing. Um, and she does struggle to sustain, actually, even as a Breton. Uh, so I think that's going to be cool. That's going to be really cool. I'm excited for, for that character. Dark Elf, this is probably the one that has gotten the most controversy. Um, the main thing here, uh, let's see here. So they've taken, they've gotten a little bit of buff to their flame resistance. They're getting, instead of instead of their 3% max magicka uh, that's being replaced by a 600 max health. Uh, and then here's the big one, the signature passive, right? 7% flame damage. Uh, and the 2% Frost and Shock, who cares about that? But it's the 7% Flame Damage that everyone cares about. Uh, that is now 258 Weapon and Spell Damage. So you're, you're losing your Fire Damage um, in favor of Universal Damage, basically. So if you're, if you're a Dunmer, Magicka, Dragon Knight, that might be a little bit of a nerf. I don't think it's going to be like devastating i don't think your your build just suddenly sucks after this uh by any means at all um but you know you lose that i guess that flavor that kind of like you have exactly the right race for exactly the right class it's like a match made in heaven uh you are you are losing that that's that is a bummer uh any dunmer who isn't a dragon knight i think this is a buff uh, and it's also important to note about Dark Elf is they are now a hybrid race. So you can make a stamina Dark Elf that is equally as effective as a Magicka Dark Elf, right? You have equal parts max stamina and Magicka. Uh, you have, uh, you know, the, the 600 health, that's useful for anybody. The flame resistance and immunity to burning is useful for anybody. Uh, and then you have 258 weapon and spell damage. So every single passive is equally useful to a Magicka or a Stamina build. Uh, and from what I hear that's going on on PTS, uh, they actually are performing quite well uh, in in Stamina setups. So that's interesting. I'm, I'm glad. I actually am happy for these changes for Dark Elf. I understand the frustration uh, about the, the, the Mag DK thing. Um, I think it's, I think we're going to get over it. And I think it's going to be cool to have uh, a Dark Elf as an option for a stamina race or, or for a stamina class uh or if i make you know i have a i have a mag dk dunmer you know maybe i want to respec her as a uh stamina build later on and rather than having to level up uh, a whole new character i have that option i mean i probably won't do that i really like my mag dk but uh you know that option's there i've done that before i did that with my templar and an argonian uh Magicka Templar that I just wasn't gelling with. I just wasn't feeling the, the Templar vibe, to be quite honest. I just found myself never logging in with that character. Um, so I just decided, well, it's an Argodian, so it's pretty easy to flip uh, over to Stamina. Uh, and so I did, and I found actually, man, Stamina Templar is awesome. I actually love I actually love that. It's one of my favorite characters now. Her name is Old Betsy. She's the, the second one in my character list on my character selection screen. Uh, you know, second only to my main, my, my mag blade. Um, so definitely to me, there's a, there's a definite benefit to having uh, a race that can, that can flip flop like that. Uh, cause I didn't have to, I didn't have to level that character up. She was already max CP. 
grinding's already done. I just had to level up a few skill lines, um, which is comparatively much faster. Imperial. Let's see here. So, kind of lackluster to be quite honest, which that's, I feel like Imperials have always been kind of lackluster. Um, they're 10% on melee attack to heal for 6% ma max health. That is now, instead of melee attacks, it's direct damage uh, with a 15% chance to heal uh, for a flat value of 1750. You also get a block and bash cost reduction by 5%. That's really that's really the only change worth mentioning there. Seems underwhelming. Bash and block, you can already get those things to be super cheap. Uh, so I guess you probably can more reliably get that passive heal now, since it's direct damage uh, instead of melee, and it's 15% chance instead of 6% chance. So you're getting that heal more often. If, uh, if that's why you picked uh, an Imperial in the first place, then, um, then that's going to be better. Kaji, another interesting one. Um, the important things to note here is, well, actually, kind of every everything's important to note here. So I, I think Kaji, we will spend a little time on um, health recovery. Twenty percent health recovery, ten percent stamina recovery is now uh, one hundred health recovery and seventy-five magicka and stamina recovery. Um, Stealthy radius reduction uh, by 3 meters and increased stealth damage by 10%. So the same thing with the Bosmer. They took that away. Uh, and now in that place, it's just something totally different. Increases your max uh, health, magicka, and stamina by 750. Um, and then the last one, this is the most interesting one to me. Uh, increased weapon critical chance by 8%. Now that's weapon and spell critical by 8%. Uh, and then they gave you back your uh, radius stealth detection um, by 5 meters, actually, instead of 3 meters. So a little bit of a buff as far as how sneaky you are, how hard you are to detect. Uh, but you still, you still lose that 10% bonus damage out of stealth, uh, which is, again, fine with me. So like the Dunmer, the Khajiit is now a hybrid race. You can make a Stamina Khajiit or you can make a Magicka Khajiit and they are equally suited to either one. And if you're like me, these numbers seem a little underwhelming. Um, you know, Stamina and Magicka recovery by 75. That seems low. Even though, you know, I know if you add up all these stat points here, it's probably more actual stat points than anybody else. Um, just it seems low uh, but from what I'm hearing on uh, PTS they're actually performing quite well because that that crit bonus no, nobody else has that that's unique to Khajiit um, and it's actually a pretty darn powerful um, passive to have uh, so they're actually performing very well uh, in both Magicka and Stamina DPS tests which is interesting. It's another one where you know you're you're not feeling the vibe of a certain character you made. It's a Khajiit. Maybe flip to the other version of that build. You know, stamina to Magicka or whatever, and see if you vibe with that any better. You know, that's that's what I did with Old Betsy, and it's it's been great. And you can do that with a Khajiit or a Dunmer now, or or a still an Argonian too. Uh, Nord. 
the key thing here is uh, they are getting a new uh, ulti gen uh, passive here. Uh, when you take damage, gain five ultimate. That can happen every 10 seconds. And that's no percentage chance. Uh, it's just, it just happens. Um, so that's cool. Uh, you are sacrificed. You're getting rid of health recovery. Your 20% health recovery is going away, and instead you're getting that ulti regen. Um, keeping your cold resistance, and your 6% damage reduction is now just a physical and spell resistance buff, 3960. So that ulti regen is the interesting part there. Orc, let's see here, health and stamina, still health and stamina, healing received and health recovery. So losing the 20% health recovery there, um, and instead when you deal damage with a weapon ability, you restore 30, 380 health and stamina, uh, and that can happen every four seconds. Um, Okay. You know, that's a. I guess they didn't really have any built in recovery uh, before, so that, that helps. That's nice. Um, Swift Warrior, sprint cost reduction 10% sprint speed. They still have that. Um, but now instead of 4% melee attack, it's just 258 weapon damage. And I think that is a buff. Absolutely. Because uh, that's just universal damage to everything rather than specifically melee attacks. So hit him with a bow, whatever, it counts. Yeah, or even like ground effects, caltrops, um, it all counts. It also helps your heals. Your heals will hit harder because of that. Red Guard, I think it's just kind of adjusting some numbers for them. I don't think any crazy changes. Uh, the adrenaline rush that they're so known for is currently when you deal damage with a melee attack, restore stamina, and that can happen every five seconds. Now it's going to be direct damage. So again, like the orc, you're just it's just going to be more reliable, easier easier to get that that stamina return. And it's 950 stamina instead of 792 every five seconds. So a bit of a buff there. I think Redgar is probably still going to be among the the top tier. Stamina classes. Oops, I mean races. Uh, PTS is still happening. I I have access to PTS, but I just it's so much work to put these builds together to uh, to test them out. I mean, even even having all the stuff already in the inventory, you have to dig through all those coffers and you have to make all the glyphs and do all that stuff. It it takes a long time just to get to the point where you can start testing. Um, so. Uh, you know, I just leave that to the experts, um, and I'll and I'll see what happens when when things get to live. I think that's all the important changes. Um, again, look it up on the official forums if you want to read all the all the details. Uh, I think in general this is a good direction to be going in. I'm glad that they are taking a crack at this. I think it's something that people have been asking for for a long time. Certain races are just almost mandatory for certain builds uh, and now that that's being loosened up a little bit and people will have different options without getting these uh, you know without getting rude comments from guildmates or whatever um, you know now suddenly if someone sees a healer with a Khajiit tail hanging out of the back you know they might not have 
so many snide questions or, or remarks to make because it actually makes decent sense for Rikuji to be a healer now. Um, I like it. Um, people are upset about the Dunmer thing. Um, people are saying that um, Zenimax giving us uh, one single race change token is a clear money grab because obviously we're going to have to change every single solitary one of our uh, races of our characters. Uh, so they're forcing us to buy these race change tokens. Um, I don't know. I don't see it. Uh, as far as I can tell here, I'm probably not going to have a need to change any of my characters, except maybe a, my Dunmer Magicka Dragonite. I don't plan on changing her. I think she's still going to be great. I don't care about dealing the most possible damage that I can possibly deal. I just want to be kind of good enough, you know, uh, and I think she's still going to be plenty good enough, no doubt about it. But for those people who do like to super extreme min-max, then there you go. There's your one free race change token. That's probably going to be the only one that's even kind of necessary uh, based on what I'm seeing here. So I don't think it's a money grab at all. It was a money grab. The only, like, the race change, the race is already such a small factor in your build, you know. Uh, unless you're playing at like the elite upper 1% of players that are like hitting those trial leaderboards and stuff, ch changing your race, you know, isn't the thing that's going to get you there uh, if you're if you're not already in that echelon. Uh, you know, so if this were a money grab, I think maybe they would try to come up with a ploy that affects more than that 1% of players that are that this might matter for. Um, this is something that the player base has been asking for for a long time. I mean, you just, just scroll through the subreddit and you'll see threads pop up on a fairly regular basis on the subject of racial balance and why can't I have a Khajiit healer. Um, so they're just, they're just doing what has been asked and it seems to me like they're going about it in a pretty decent way. Um, so anyway, that's that's racial balances. Uh, you know, look them up. Look up. There's there's plenty of threads discussing it. There's a lot of opinions out there. Um, you know, you can form your own. All right, we're gonna take another break. That was that was a lot of words there. Uh, and when I get back, we're gonna do a little bit of set discussion. All right, I'm back. So I know I just said that we're gonna have a set discussion after the break. Um, but I thought since we just went over those um, Wrathstone DLC notes and talked about eight armor sets uh, over that, uh, we've we've had a set discussion already, basically, and we and we've we've already been going on for quite a while. So I don't think we're we're hurting for content by any means. Uh, so I think um, I'm just gonna have this here for this episode as like a placeholder. Uh, just just to say this this will probably be a section where we discuss armor sets i think each week the idea is that i'll pick uh three armor sets to choose from i think i might just go in alphabetical order or something i, I will figure that out um and then we'll just talk about them we'll just read off what the set bonuses do uh and then just kind of hypothesize on how they might be useful compare them maybe to other sets that are comparable um and things like that um i think it'll be fun i always i always like those uh set discussions on uh on forums and things like that so I'll, we'll do a similar thing here all right 
let's set discussion. <laughs> um, moving on, let's talk a little bit about theorycraft, shall we? Um, so first of all, the, th the thing that I want to get across is that uh, I, I jumped off the BIS treadmill uh, quite a while ago. Um, I'm not really chasing that meta dragon anymore. Um, I'm, you know, I'm aware of it and I acknowledge it and I, you know, I understand its importance. And for people who, who are doing that kind of thing, you know, trying to reach high scores and stuff like that, I get it. I totally get it. Um, but the the way that I enjoy this game is um, not, I guess, not that way because the thing is, if you're always trying to have the best in slot gear all the time then that's that's a treadmill that never ends right you spend you spend all your time grinding for this gear you finally get it you finally transmute everything to the proper traits you gold it all out um and then there's a a patch that changes the new meta and you have new gear to grind for uh or there's a there's new sets that become available that are better than the ones that you have now. And now you have to go grind for those. And so you go do it all over again. And the same thing, you get them and the meta shifts and you have to do it again. And it just never stops. You just, there's never comes a point where you can just relax and just play the game and enjoy it with the, uh, with the build that you have. Um, uh, and the truth is actually, <laughs> You can do that. I mean, if that's what you want, it's 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 surprisingly easy, and it took me surprisingly a long time to to realize uh, that you know if you're not hitting those leaderboards, if that's not your goal, then get off that meta wagon. You know, it's not it's not worth the effort. It's only it's only minimally minimal gains anyway. Um. So. Like as an example, you look up a build guide online, uh, and I'm not disparaging anyone. Uh, you know, this is, this is my take. Uh, say you go to alcasthq.com, wonderful resource. That dude's awesome. Um, I highly recommend you know checking out his website. Absolutely. Um, but you know, you look you look up one of his build guides, and he'll have like his main gear recommendation is the, the best in slot stuff for the current meta. Um, but then below that, he'll have a, like a beginner setup that he recommends. Like this is gear that you can just run out and get pretty much right away. Uh, and then you can just kind of get by on that uh, while you're grinding for, for the stuff that's actually good. Um, and so what I'm saying is once you get that beginner setup, for the most part, you can just stop grinding. You're done. Um, you know, if you're if you're not trying to hit those leaderboards, then you're done grinding. Just stop. Uh, I've been on my on my Magblade. I've been using Julianos, Mother Sorrow, and Grothdar, uh, or Vulcan Scoria, depending on the fight. I have them both in my inventory. I've been using that setup basically since I hit the gear level cap. And it's extremely effective. I'm in three large guilds. We we do vet raids on a regular basis. I am uh, always 
you know, among the top damage dealers, I always pull my weight. It's not a problem. I've never had any complaints. You know, my, my Magblade is an Argonian. Uh, I have CP put into uh, healing, so it's not like full-fledged, full-throttle damage. Um, and I just, I'm using this, which, what some would call a starter setup. And I have guildmates that do have the best in slot, like fully, you know, perfect BIS uh, setup. And I don't know, they're, my performance is comparable to theirs. You know, maybe maybe they're squeezing out a few thousand more than me, but it's like, I'm still pumping out good damage, no doubt. No one's complaining. You know, we're not we're not trying to hit scores. We're just trying to, you know, get achievements, com complete the thing, and just experience the content and enjoy playing the game. Pardon the dog. All right, sorry about that. I had to let the dog out. Just got excited about something. Uh, where was I? So on top of all that, um, oftentimes these best in slot sets they're like really hard to get locked behind this you know super difficult content uh oftentimes isn't even all that much better you know it's only like slightly better uh or depending on the situation it's actually just downright inferior to to something that you can just get from an you know like a dropped overland set or a crafted set like juliano some other sorrow um an easy example as a mantle of sororia right from the cloud rest trial uh the five piece bonus uh is uh dealing direct damage to an enemy with a single target ability it creates a ring of fire beneath you for 10 seconds uh standing in the ring grants you a stack of sororia sororia's boon for five seconds each stack increases your spell damage by 30 20 stacks max that can give you what like an extra 600 spell damage you, you've got all the stacks going. It's a lot. It's a big buff. Um, and you know, if you're in a if you're in a a single target boss fight, a stationary boss fight, um, then yeah, absolutely, this thing's going to blow just about anything out of the water. Um, but think about like the Lord Warden, the last boss in uh, Imperial City Prison, and that dude's teleporting all over the place and there's these portals on the ground that you have to avoid and there's these ads that you have to run around and mess with uh you're you're really never standing still uh in there so it's going to be pretty hard for you to get those 20 stacks you know standing in your magic circle uh you know i would be surprised if you were even able to keep half the number of stacks um you know for for the duration of the fight um so i mean i would say that set for that fight is straight up inferior to julianos or mother sorrow right you're gonna get better results out of those because you don't have to do any special dance for those there's no special condition it's just you have this crit you have the spell damage everything you do will be backed up by these stats just plain and simple um so mantle sorority is seriously super strong that's what i like about them doing this this stacking business here because it, it gives them a way to give us these more and more powerful sets to to shoot for so we can keep getting these higher and higher numbers feel, feeling we can keep feeling like we're progressing uh 
but you know it comes with that caveat where you have to do a special thing to get to get all that um you know and if you're in a fight where you can't do that special thing then you know the the easier stuff is going to be better and even in fights where you can do that where you can get those full stacks for the duration of the fight it's not like Giuliano sucks in those fights or mother sorrow like you know like i was saying um that setup there is fine So all that to say, uh, when I'm doing theory crafting here, I'm just not really chasing down that meta. Uh, I'm more just uh, kind of exploring interesting build ideas, especially cool stuff that you can pull off in PvP. I find that PvP kind of allows for a lot of uh, creativity in your builds. You can you can really find a lot of effective things um, that you wouldn't. You know, you a lot. There's a lot more room for versatility. Uh, and diversity in PvP than there is in PvE for sure. Uh, so um, a lot, of, a lot of the theory crafting for PvP builds is is really cool. Uh, but PvE is cool too. Um, we'll definitely talk, you know, equal parts of both. Uh, I I do both in ample measure. Um, I think on the PvE side of things, uh, I think we're going to be. I think most of my builds are more concerned with being effective with pugs because i find that even though i'm in these guilds I, it's still most of the time when i'm doing like daily dungeons or just grinding for for a piece of gear that i need or something uh i often end up doing it with pugs anyway um and if that's the case you know when you're when you're running with a lot of pugs oftentimes uh, a, a meta build isn't actually meta you know most effective tools available um you know, if you're if you have like an inexperienced healer or tank or something like that, or like an another damage dealer that just is dying a lot or something like that, or you know, you never know what the group dynamic's gonna be in pugs. Uh you may find that you're like your glass cannon damage dealer uh keeps dying in a group like that because the healer's just not good enough to keep you alive and you need a little bit more resistance or a little bit more self-healing in your build to be effective there. Uh, and you know you get mad and just say the group sucks and rage quit, but that's that's no fun for anyone. You're, you know, you could just tweak your build a little bit and get them through it, and be the be a hero. Um, so I think yeah, I think our PVE builds are going to be kind of more like a pug meta is what we're going to be focused on, not so much a, uh, not so much a like elite uh, raid squad uh, meta. Uh, I like that term pug meta. I think, I think that's what we're going to go for as far as PvE goes. Uh, and like I said, I have some cool ideas for PvP builds as well. I have some stuff that works really well for me uh, that I've I've managed to, you know, be somewhat effective in PvP. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely talk about, about all of that. Uh, if you have any ideas as far as theory crafting, stuff you'd like to see me talk about uh just hit up that email address cat sparrowhawk at gmail.com uh i'll be happy to you know at least read your idea and certainly consider it um all right <clears throat> so i think that's going to be our theory crafting segment uh this time i know it's a little rough i'm still i'm still working out the uh the kinks of this thing but uh just to give you an idea of where i'm coming from the the next episode will actually like talk about a build and do some actual theory crafting.
All right, so this next segment, I'll definitely keep it pretty short. Uh, it's something that for now I'm going to call the lore morsel. Uh, the idea is just going to be a small, bite-sized little nugget of lore. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it, uh, but, you know, a little spoonful's good for you. Uh, so uh, I, hope, <laughs> I hope you don't mind. Uh, I figure what we'll do is just through the course of this podcast, I'm just going to start with the Dawn Era of the his, the history of the universe here uh, and we'll just read like a paragraph or two each episode and maybe muse a thought or two uh, and then and then we'll move on so here we go uh, and I'm just reading this straight from the wiki uh, or from uh, uesp.net actually um, so you can read it from there says, note, the Dawn era was a period during which time followed an incomprehensible nonlinear path and the very laws of nature remained unset, making a timeline an artificial fabrication. Uh, a conflict was simultaneously a mere ideological difference of opinion and a manifest war. As noted in the Lunar Lorcan, this war of manifest metaphors renders the era mostly incapable of supporting a narrative. Since fixed dates during this time are unknowable, there is no specific nomenclature for years within the Dawn Era. Further, some events, such as the Volothi dissident movement, are attributed, are attributed to the Dawn Era by some sources and to... Oh, wait, okay, let me back up. Such as the Volothi dissident movement are attributed to the Dawn Era by some sources and to the Marithic Era by others. Uh, in other areas, in various areas, in later eras, in various areas, man, in other eras, in various areas, <laughs> and over varying periods of time, people have experienced a refrain of the chaos of the dawn, which is known as the dragon break. And then after that comes the beginning, it says, which we'll save that for next time. So we just had, you know, I've, I've heard kind of like creation origin you know origin of universe stories similar to this where everything's just kind of in flux there is no time there's no form it's just like all this crazy craziness happening uh and then um somehow over time it just sort of settles and congeals into a concrete existence of sorts um is what i'm guessing is going to happen so that's interesting we'll we'll check out the next part next time i don't know i don't know if this uh if this lore morsel business is going to catch on uh i just thought it was a neat idea uh i like the lore in this game uh i don't you know i don't get super absorbed with it but uh you know i like that it's there i like that it's just in the background of the world and it just feels like uh there's some real history there um uh, helps helps with the immersion. Immersion. It's all about the immersion. Um, okay, so we'll get into some uh, emails now. So, all right. Again, this is the first episode, so actually there are no emails. But I do want to respond to emails if anyone actually does send any in. Um, as a reminder, you can email me at ketsparrowhawk, K-E-T-sparrowhawk, at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. Um, uh, send me any questions you might have, any uh, comments, suggestions for the show, things you might like to hear me talk about, segments, uh, that sort of thing. Um, funny jokes, um, a poem about ESO that you wrote. Uh, you know, as long as you're nice, then I'll take whatever you got. As long as you're nice and, you know, appropriate. 
So I think that's going to do it for the very first episode of the Scrolling Podcast. I had a good time doing this. I hope you got something out of it, and I hope you come back for the next one. All right. See you next time. Thank you.